You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little bitch. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the lion! Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Well, I'm still reeling from the loss of my favorite place to go see movies. If you're listening to this outside of Los Angeles, Pacific Theaters announced the closure of all of their theater locations, as well as local staple Arclight Cinemas, which had the best theater, in my opinion, in Los Angeles, the Hollywood Cinerama Dome. It is one of the last remaining of its kind in the entire world. Hopefully someone with deep pockets and a respect for its history swoops in and buys it, and not a developer with the ideas and time to strip it of its historical status and then level it for apartment buildings. Like I said, it's a protected landmark, but stranger things have happened. Um, as a reminder, I've still got an Oscar ballot contest going on for this year's Academy Awards, the details of which you can find on my socials. Fill out the ballot, which you can find on the social media pages. Now for some two-sentence movie reviews of movies I saw in a movie theater. This week, I saw The Father, which is a heartbreaking story of a man struggling with his deteriorating mental faculties. This movie is wonderful and heartbreaking. Highly recommend it. If you've got a family member who's going through Alzheimer's or dementia or something similar, be wary. It's a stunningly accurate depiction. I also saw In the Woods, which was, fun fact, shot back in August. And it is one of those slow burn horror movies that critics love, but that audiences generally hate. If my movie brain takes over, this podcast episode will be about how much I did not like this movie. I'm guessing Ben Wheatley just dropped a ton of drugs in the woods during quarantine while watching Annihilation 2001, Midsummer, and The Blair Witch Project, and then wrote this movie. It's a load of half-formed ideas that wouldn't have gotten the attention it did. It wouldn't have even gotten a wide release if this year hadn't ultimately wiped out movie theaters and the releases. Hard pass on that one. Anyway, this week we're covering everything that's going down at the Oscars this year. What the hell is going on? Is it going to be the fanciest Zoom call of all time? Well, I read all the articles and all the trade magazines, so you don't have to. Let's dive in. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. While you'd never know it from the news outlets, the 93rd Academy Awards won't be the first ceremony ever to get delayed. It's actually happened three times before. In 1938, due to floods in Los Angeles. In 1968, because of the assassination of civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in 1981, after the attempted assassination of then-President Ronald Reagan. 
The change for this year's ceremony was announced on June 15th, 2020, when it had already become abundantly clear that there weren't going to be a ton of movies coming out into theaters in 2020. The Academy released a statement saying, quote, For over a century, movies have played an important role in comforting, inspiring, and entertaining us during the darkest of times. They certainly have this year. Our hope is extending the eligibility period and our awards date to provide the flexibility filmmakers need to finish and release their films without being penalized for something beyond anyone's control. This coming Oscars will mark a historic moment, gathering movie fans around the world to unite through cinema. Nice words, but the Oscars have had a ratings problem for years, and if this year's other award shows have been any indication, the producers for this year's show have a right to be concerned about the ratings, especially this year. The Academy has attempted to get the youths into what some of them consider a relic or a waste of time or just generally don't care. Their attempts to get viewers have had varying but overall minimal effects. For an example of this failing spectacularly, look at really any video of James Franco and Anne Hathaway hosting the Oscars 10 years ago. Anne Hathaway was the literal poster child of the only person who took the group project seriously. And when it came time to present it, her project partner got really, really stoned. Anyway, this year, for the third year in a row, there will be no official host or hosts for the ceremony. Instead, the Academy will be relying on the producers of the show to build a ceremony that will celebrate cinema. On December 20th, the three people tasked with this were announced. They are Emmy-nominated producer Jesse Collins, who most recently executive produced the Pepsi Halftime Show from this year's Super Bowl, Academy Award-nominated producer Stacey Schur, who received Oscar nominations for producing both Django Unchained and Aaron Brockovich, and finally, Academy Award-winning filmmaker Steven Soderbergh, who won a Best Directing Oscar for Traffic. Soderbergh's headshot for the press release has him adorned in like a Sgt. Pepper's-esque outfit for some reason, so that's fun, I guess. Thought I'd mention it. Further, in the press release announcing the trio, Academy President David Rubin and Academy CEO Don Hudson released this joint statement about the show's newly hired producers. Quote, The upcoming Oscars is the perfect occasion for innovation and for re-envisioning the possibilities for the award show. This is a dream team who will respond directly to these times. The Academy is excited to work with them to deliver an event that reflects the worldwide love of movies and how they connect us and entertain us when we need them most. The three producers also released a statement themselves, saying, quote, We're thrilled and terrified in equal measure. Because of the extraordinary situation we're all in, there's an opportunity to focus on the movies and the people who make them in a way that feels like the movies we all love. It was announced on March 19th, 2021 by the show's producers that Glenn Weiss would return to direct the ceremony, making this the sixth Oscars telecast he's directed. He's also won two primetime Emmys for directing the Oscars and famously proposed to his girlfriend while taking the stage to accept his Emmy at the 70th primetime Emmys in 2018. So this show is going to be different. Well, that was already a given since nothing about the last 13, 14 months has been anything but ordinary. These four and their teams have got a lot of work to do, especially if they hope to capture the magic of cinema, especially if that event's going to be outdoors and all over the world.
What's actually slated to occur during the ceremony is usually a pretty closely kept secret. But this year, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that has to be addressed before anyone tries on their fancy outfits. In Los Angeles, we have had pretty strict social distancing measures for basically the entirety of the pandemic. We were just allowed to resume indoor dining on March 16th after not having it since like mid-June, I think. There have been whispers that indoor events will be allowed to return soon as well, but no official word has been made as of writing this. Even if they were allowed, there's no way in hell the Dolby Theater is cramming its 3,400 seats full of people. So where the Oscars are actually going to take place has been a bit of a moving target. Originally, it was stated that both the Dolby Theater, the Oscars home since the 74th Oscars, and Union Station would be used in concurrence. Currently, it's looking like Union Station is going to be the main venue for this year, and maybe they'll bounce back and forth doing like little segments in the Dolby. There will be a reduced red carpet at Union Station, whether permitting, of course, with all of this. Additional locations have been added for the ceremony as well, including one in London at BFI, British Film Institute, South Bank. BFI South Bank is a four-screen movie complex for the Institute. What will be interesting is the security in the L.A. locale. Normally, the streets around the Dolby get shut down in the days and weeks before the ceremony for security and to set up the street. All of the movie stars are walking on the same street where the sad-looking Elmo was charging unwitting tourists for photos a fortnight prior. This can't be done with Union Station, as Union Station is a major transportation hub in Los Angeles, and trains will continue to run throughout the show. It's somewhat unclear where and how attendees will flow between different indoor and exterior parts of the station and what contingencies are planned if Los Angeles has one of those rare rainy days. Street closures around Union Station have been announced, but they are definitely not as restrictive as they are at the Dolby. People being people, and people love to complain, some are being critical about this unorthodox ceremony not feeling like a real Academy Awards due to the multiple locations. But people being people, they didn't do their research. This isn't the first time there have been multiple venues for a single Oscar ceremony. When the ceremony was first beamed into living rooms on television in 1953, there were two locations used for that year's Oscars, one in Hollywood and the other in New York. This process continued until 1957. Why did they stop? Because it was spendy. In a move of... Let's say optimism, as the Academy can be a little, well, a lot pretentious at times. The Academy originally required all nominees to attend the ceremony in person this year if they wanted to give a speech. No Zooms, no pre-recorded speeches will be accepted. Well, that, you won't be surprised to hear, didn't set well with most people. It's likely unsafe or unpractical for many of the year's nominees who live overseas, where COVID rates are climbing, or those who are filming movies or TV shows in production hubs like Australia, where quarantine periods are required to travel, to get to Los Angeles. No production is going to allow their talent to fly to LA, quarantine for two weeks, for one night, then fly back and have to quarantine for another two weeks. It's crazy impractical in a business where time is money. The UK also has a travel ban in place until at least May 17th, so nobody's getting out of there easily. On March 29th, the Zoom rule was ultimately lifted and relaxed. But there is a dress code. Nobody's accepting an Oscar in a sweatshirt like Jason Sudeikis did at the Golden Globes this year. 
Remote broadcasting isn't new to the show anyway. In 1991, the crew of the space shuttle Atlantis sent their congratulations to Irving Thalberg winner George Lucas. Arthur C. Clarke was patched in from Sri Lanka in 2001 to present adapted screenplay with Tom Hanks, who was on stage at the Shrine Auditorium. More recently, in 2013, First Lady Michelle Obama was at the White House and Jack Nicholson was on stage at the Dolby as they announced Argo as that year's best picture. Clearly, there's a precedence for this, so we'll see how much of it's implemented into this year's ceremony when it's actually needed. While on the topic of things being different, but not actually different, the date this year isn't that weird either. Oscar ceremonies have taken place in February, March, April, May, and even November over the years. The jump to February didn't occur until 2004, so for a nearly 100-year-old ceremony, that's relatively recent. Typically, 50 non-nominated individuals are selected each year to present the awards. This year, that number will be at least half. They may also change the rules and use nominees to present as well. Some of the presenters were announced earlier this week, and true to the producer's promise of the award show feeling like a movie, the presenters were announced as the cast of the award show. It even came with its own poster. Presenters this year will include Brad Pitt, Joaquin Phoenix, Renee Zellweger, Zendaya, Halle Berry, Don Cheadle, Rita Moreno, and Laura Dern, in addition to several other A-list actors and filmmakers. The producers described their lineup as, quote, so much wattage, sunglasses may be required. As I mentioned earlier, the biggest issue the show's producers have to contend with is getting people to care, and this year is worse than most. Most of the films nominated this year are not known to casual film watchers whose views the Academy is desperately trying to attract. No one is going to watch a show and go, huh, never heard of that movie for three hours. It's just not going to happen. According to researchers who do this kind of stuff, the one best picture film that most audience goers were familiar with is Judas and the Black Messiah, which carried only a 46% awareness, which ain't great. The movie that is currently in theaters that most people are aware of, I shudder to say, is Tom and Jerry, which has an 88% awareness. In addition, movie theaters are campaigning for the Academy to do some kind of a PSA for audiences to try and get them to return to the movie theaters, like I've been doing on here for the last month. But of course, I've got a significantly smaller platform than they do, so you know. Anyway, a source close to the Academy says that an idea has come up with in discussions and to expect what they call, quote, a love letter to the movie theaters, both in feeling and the physical sense. Some movie theater owners were unhappy that no one acknowledged the economic devastation that coronavirus wrought on the exhibition space during the Golden Globes or the other award shows that have already taken place this year. With the news of Pacific theaters closing and rumors that other chains are soon to follow, this has never been more dire. 
In case you care, and well, you've been listening to my voice drone on about movies for the last six months. Six months? Nope. Nine months. Good God, I've been talking to myself into this microphone for nine months. Anyway, here's some of my Oscar predictions for the big categories this year. Something I always toil over when I take part in Oscar ballot games for fun or for competition. As a know-it-all, I always struggle between who will win and who I want to win. Since I've given myself a microphone in this room by myself to talk to, I get to double dip. So for best animated short, as I said last week, I wasn't a fan of any of them really, but the one I disliked the least was probably If Anything Happens, I Love You, which was produced by Netflix, so they've had the capital to campaign for the film. The only other thing that stands a chance is probably Burrow, which is the Disney-nominated short this year. For best live action short, this year was a group of absolute bangers. If I were to pick my favorite, it'd be Two Distant Strangers, which I hope gets turned into a feature someday. There's so, it was just so flush with content. It's so good. What I think will win is The Letter Room because it's got an A-list actor, Oscar Isaac. The film is directed by his wife as its lead, as well as a couple of other relatively recognizable faces. Last year, the weakest film, in my opinion, in this category one, but it was the one with the most familiar faces to the Academy voters. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't bad, but in my opinion, it certainly was not the best or even Oscar quality. Best original screenplay. This is a really great category this year. If I were to pick one, I've been, since I've been saying it since I saw it, I'd really like The Trial of the Chicago 7 to win in this category. There's a scene between Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne's characters when they geek out about grammar and word usage and how it incited a riot that only Aaron Sorkin can actually make enjoyable. I think Promising Young Woman will actually win, as I think the Academy voters are going to share the wealth like they've done the last few years. I'm good with this, though, as Promising Young Woman had my second favorite script. Best Adapted Screenplay is a little tricky. My favorite was definitely The Father, but I don't think it's garnered enough attention or campaigned hard enough to actually win one of the big categories. My guess is that this will go to Nomadland. The film is flimsy on dialogue, but it did do an excellent job adapting from its source material. Supporting actor, this one's easy. It's Daniel Kaluuya all the way. It was smart of them to put him in this category, even though this was definitely more of a leading role as Kaluuya's role as Fred Hampton, the leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party in the 1970s. It's definitely not supporting, but they made it a gray area by calling Lakeith Stanfield the lead, which has which has been done time and time again. It was done last year with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Either way, I think it's going to be a good night for Daniel Kaluuya. Supporting actress, again, I think this is a pretty easy one. The Oscar is going to go to and should go to Yu Jung Yan, who plays the matriarch in the film Minari. She had my favorite performance of her fellow nominees in this category, was incredible in the role, and she won the SAG Award a couple weeks ago. If they win at the SAG, they're probably going to win at the Oscars. Best actor, going to Chadwick Boseman, and there's no way it isn't going to Chadwick Boseman. If he hadn't tragically passed away last year, I'm not sure he would have won or even been nominated. But as we've learned last week, awards often reflect the time they are given in. If he had lived a long life, there is no doubt Chadwick would have won an Oscar at some point, and I'm glad that his acting legacy will include the top prize in his field. 
Best Actress is tricky as the two it's between are my two favorite performances within the category. Viola Davis is transcendent in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She completely disappeared into that role. If I didn't know it was her, I don't think I would have been like, is that Viola Davis? It's... It, it's unbelievable what she did. The other is Carrie Mulligan, whom gave my favorite performance of the year in Promising Young Woman. If the Academy is feeling like spreading the love this year, this will likely go to Carrie over Viola, whom has already won an Oscar. Best Director, I would love to see Emerald Fennell win for Promising Young Woman, but this is going to go to Chloe Zhao without a doubt for Nomadland, and it kind of should. What Chloe pulled off was incredible, Blending an actress like Frances McDormand with a cast of real people was quite impressive, even if the film was my least favorite of the group. Finally, Best Picture. The nominees this year have pretty much the opposite problem the 2018 nominees did when any one of those nominated films could have been a decent best picture choice, except the one that won, but you know. If this were any other year, none of the nominated films from this year would win. Usually I have one or two that I'd be happy with winning, and having seen them all, there just isn't one major standout for me, which is a shame because they're all pretty good movies. If Ma Rainey had been nominated, I would have said that, but alas, it was not meant to be. If I were to pick one, I think I'd choose Promising Young Woman because it's the one I probably have thought about the most since seeing it. It also brought the art form forward in ways the others did not. The others felt more like standard films from their respective genres. Great films, but inherently nothing that special. That being said, my guess is that Nomadland will end up being the one taking the big prize, which, like I said earlier, is my least favorite. It's won a lot of the big prizes this year and has already far and wide taken the most awards this season. Disney wanted a new independent label, and it looks like they're coming out of the gate kicking and punching. Whatever this year ends up looking like and whatever ends up winning, hopefully it reminds people that movies aren't just things to put on in the background while they're doing chores or texting on their phones, that they are worthy of being respected as the pieces of art that they are, and like the movie theater, not a relic of a time gone by. Watch the Oscars this year, guys. Give them a win. Make them feel good. that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or if you have any questions, you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there. So if you could please rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. Share it on your socials. What do you got to lose? It's free. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help out in any way, I'd super appreciate it. I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. Next week, we'll be reminiscing as we go over some of the best, worst, and awkward moments, according to me, ever to happen on Hollywood's biggest night. 
Thanks again for listening. And until next time, that's a wrap.